1: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan
0: Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the Round 5 Review Edition. A lot of football to wrap up. Not just the men's game, of course. We had the AFLW Grand Final on Saturday. And we're going to start with a full rundown on that this evening. Plenty of men's footy to talk about too, of course. Some big statements made, some important games won by sides who needed to win them. As I say, very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. What have you made of all the action, Finey?
1: Yeah, it was a fascinating weekend of football. Obviously, we lost one of our undefeated teams in terms of the Sydney Swans at the death, going down to GWS. But I tell you what, look, it's, it's with the Bulldogs. They'll come up against Meteor opponents on the Gold Coast and Of course, they had that fairly lax third quarter, but I watched them in the first half and they are hard to go past, really. That midfielder, it's one thing to have a deep midfield. It's another to have one that inspires each other to new heights, and that's where Trelaw and Dunkley are this season. They're playing the best football of their careers. Likewise, Melbourne, did you hear the news today, Rowan? Great performances in the VFL by Wiedemann and Ben Brown. Will add to Melbourne's unbridled optimism after starting the season five and zero. So shades of 1954, me old motion.
0: Yeah, yes. Uh, Bulldogs and the Demons uh, potentially playing off for a flag. That is a long time ago. Plenty of depth, as you mentioned, for both those teams. I'll tell you what else has plenty of depth, Viney the deepest, juiciest, most succulent hamburger. Start off, I'm starving. This side of. Venus, because I keep saying the best hamburger in the universe. And it is. Tell
1: me all about it. You, oh God, I'm hungry. You've caught me at a vulnerable time to be describing Andrew's hamburgers, knowing that I'm a full podcast away from getting in the car and being able to go and get one, is some sort of cruel punishment. It's almost torture. I might have to contact the UN. That magnificent, meaty patty and all the fresh, a malt and the burger add up to what has been for decade upon decade upon decade, 82 years, this old town and really this state's and almost this country's finest hamburger. Now, I can't keep talking about them. I can only tell you where they are. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park, Andrew's Hamburgers, Because any more talk and the drool will muffle my voice and make me, you know, incomprehensible. I am that hungry and I'd love it. Andrew's movements Right bloody now. I'll tell you what else you can fill us in
0: on. The juiciest, most succulent home renovations in the universe.
1: All right, less desperate for a new house, even though in the market. Um, <laughs> I don't quite need to be sated as I do with a, an Andrew's hamburger. But then again, if I was in a West Point property house right now, I'd be so pleased with life. I'd be so up and about that maybe I could stand the hunger. Nick Bartels and team have put together a wonderful, wonderful Philosophy to housing, and that is that they work on small blocks in the southeastern suburbs, southeast Melbourne, and they make them big. They make them big with height, they make them big with the best of best fittings and outfittings. And I'm talking the kitchen, I'm talking the bathroom. And you'll know because you are currently in the market yourself, Rowan, that they're the places you first go to to see whether this property or any property has that extra. Finish to them. It's straight to the kitchen, straight to the bathroom. And that's where they almost start their builds, quality wise. West Point Properties, Nick Spartel's beautifully appointed houses. Beautiful, Rowan. And I'm going to fill everyone in on the
0: juiciest, meatiest statistics in the universe. And they can be found at Stats Insider, Sports Data Analysts Supreme. And uh, we're not just talking about Australian football, we're talking about 15 sports around the globe, and they do their model projections of outcomes 10,000 times for each event to give you the most accurate, searingly accurate take on what will unfold in a sports competition. They are brilliant, those guys. Also, some terrific writing on site, all free to use, so check that out, statsinsider.com.au. Proud partners of the Footyology podcast, which we're about to get into right now. On Footyology,
1: wrap around.
0: All right, well, let's kick off this with a special match review on the AFLW Grand Final. And the Brisbane Lions have broken the premiership drought. Third time lucky. Of course, been in two Grand Finals before. Lost the first one to Adelaide, the same opponent they played on Saturday lost the second one to the Western Bulldogs, have been in the interim plundered in terms of talent by some of the uh, incoming clubs into the competition, have stuck at it it under coach Craig Starsevich and won through with a superb defensive performance against Adelaide. Brisbane eventually winning this game by 18 points in front of 22,934 people. At Adelaide Oval, fantastic performance, 6-2, 38, defeating the Crows 3-20. The goal kickers, Hotter 2, Wushner 2, singles to Arnell and Dawes for Adelaide, Thompson, Ponta and Jones. Uh, was a pretty paltry tally for them and winner of the best on ground medal, was almost unanimously Kate Lutkins, Brisbane defender, who was just superb. And the Lions defence, absolutely outstanding. Ellie Anderson came in second in voting there. And Emily Bates, Brianna Conan, in fact, the only Adelaide player who polled a vote at all was one of their defenders, Stevie Lee Thompson. Uh, A real feel-good story this finally. They've been up against the Lions in terms of having their players taken by the clubs. They've come close before. They had to play this game away. Adelaide had all the, uh, I guess, premiership experience and still the Lions prevailed. It was a fantastic effort. What would you make of it?
1: Well, you know, a great friend of ours, Ashley Brown, of the AFL Football Record, tweeted after the game that no premiership, men's or women's in the AFLW, has ever come harder earned, more deserved than this one for Brisbane. I thought, come on, Brownie, that's a big comment. But then when you start to peel back the layers and go through all of what Brisbane have been through and manage to come up trumps, you know what, Brownie, I think you might be right. So you did point out this club, and I didn't realise until I did a bit of research, has has certainly given plenty to other teams joining the competition, has it not? I mean, a number of key players have left Brisbane to go and play down in Victoria, uh, across the Gold Coast, etc., They have lost countless key players, marquee players. On top of that, this season has been difficult for them. We know that they were required to quickly drop a home game against Collingwood at a vital stage of the season and forced to play that game in Melbourne, I believe, at the Whipton Oval. They've been able to overcome difficulties within this season, They've also been on the receiving end of two lost grand finals, and that can be demoralising. They were certainly not favoured playing Adelaide in Adelaide and against all of the odds. What a great performance! Yeah, you know, when, well, they were, when they were just, I'll throw to you to say, when they were five goals straight, they were five of the most brilliantly crafted, difficult goals you'll see in football. And talk about high level of skill and self-belief in that team, it grew in the third quarter, which will stand as an example to any football team as to why it's the Premiership quarter and what you need to do to win a game of football. Because they took the game away from the favourites in one of the great quarters of Premiership football, Robert.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, three goals to Adelaide's solitary point in that third term. Just to underline how good a defensive performance this was, um, the Crows really dominated territory. In fact, uh, they racked up 44 inside 50s, which was almost double what Brisbane managed for the game. And yet uh, their defence teamed together so well. They also had more potency up forward. Now, two things Brisbane had to do to win this game was shut down the two biggest Adelaide names. Aaron Phillips, of course, had been best on ground in two previous AFLW Grand Finals. And Ebony Marinoff, who last week had sent a, uh, set a, a new record for possessions in an AFLW game. And they did that. Both those players were held relatively quiet by their lofty standards. Brisbane had to conjure goals with the chances it had. It did that brilliantly, none better than Courtney Hodder, who is far and away my favourite AFLW player. She is a star. She's a little pocket rocket finding. She switched codes and made a fantastic transition back to football, which she started with. Um, two of the best goals you'll see, kick the Lions first with a lovely snap. And then the second one, you've probably already seen it replayed, a, a fantastic kick off the ground, very measured, which bounced through and gave the Lions a badly needed goal. Jess Wushner, also terrific. She kicked two long goals for the Lions at critical stages, one in the third term and set up another one for Lauren Arnell, who was playing her final game. in a fantastic passage of play, Wooshner won, I think it was a one-on-three or one-on-four contest just to keep the ball alive, a terrific tap, I think from Emily Bates it was, Uh, long kick forward and Lauren Arnell just managed to get a boot on the end of that to give him a decisive lead, in fact they were 22 points up at the last change, Adelaide really Uh, bombarded the goals early in the last quarter. I think had about eight or nine inside 50s without reply at one stage. But Brisbane, as they had done all game and all season, in fact, held the lines and uh, at the end of it, it was them dominating territory and looking even to increase that margin. So a wonderful premiership uh, win by them. And I've got to say, finally, just as we sign off on AFLW, and we've said it virtually every week, But this has really been an outstanding AFLW season. I've watched just about every game and the standard uh, has just skyrocketed so much, not even from season one, but from season four last year. Some of the young players coming into the game now, their skills are terrific. They've got more power in their kicking. Tactically, I think they're more adept. Uh, We're seeing less of that crash and bash footy and more open play And this competition is just going from strength to strength. So it was capped off suitably in the grand final, I think we deserve to have. And just a credit to everyone involved. And uh, look, I can't wait as the competition gets bigger, more teams eventually come into it. That is the subject of some contention. But uh, it's not going away, AFLW. So if you're still in the cynic camp, you're just going to have to grin and bear it because it is going to get bigger and
1: stronger with each passing season. Rowan, I couldn't agree more. I don't think there'd be too many. You see, any person that's cynical about AFL football, AFLW, does so because they don't believe that the standard is very good. Now, if you don't think... In other words, if your expectations are low and you've watched the grand final, then surely you must be... Very impressed by what was put on display. In other words, I, I think the cynics are going to be the ones most impressed when they finally bite the bullet and watch the game because this is way better than how it started off and getting better every year. Just a couple of points. Uh, Hot up, you said, was a code swapper. I do hope we're talking about football to soccer back to football.
0: Could, because no, that's...
1: football to rugby union oh, to football. Okay, because that soccer goal was worthy of Sam Kerr. Yeah, it was. It was, a, it was an absolute purler. Now we've got to talk about Erin Phillips. Uh, the you know she was sort of the centre of attention and very gracious in defeat, wonderful champion, but brilliantly coached Starovich with Lutkins doing such a magnificent job back there, but ably supported by always one or two defenders and they were able to double team Phillips on so many occasions, there was your game. It was a great spectacle, great win, and hopefully next season there are more games and more teams. Well, congratulations to the Brisbane Lions. Commiserations
0: to Adelaide. Terrific season as we sign off on AFLW for now. It's time to get in to nine games that were played across four days in Round 5. Round five kicked off on Thursday evening at Marvel Stadium with the annual Maddie's match, that uh, terrific fundraiser for research into bone marrow disease and uh, plenty of money raised once again. On the field, however, a no contest, very one-sided game this and Richmond back to their punishing best A massive win over the Saints. Final scores, 20 goals, 14, 134 to St Kilda's Poultry, 7-6-48. The goals, five goals to Jack Riewoldt, three to Tom Lynch, three to Graham, two to Castagna, two to Rioli, singles to Pickett, Edwards, Martin, Bolton and Arts. For the Saints, the only multiples there, two to Higgins, and two to Loney. It was even in the first quarter finally. but the Tigers got the jump with a five goals to one second term, and that was just a warm-up, really. Another seven goals to two in the third, and then another five goals to one in the last quarter, doing it on the bit at the end, worrying signs for the Saints, but uh, personally, I think this was more about just how destructive Richmond can be when they recaptured their best footy, and they certainly did that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think talking about St Kilda, there are some endemic problems in that side and we can talk about it shortly. But let's start with Richmond because during the game, I could count, and I might have made this point on Friday night during our Footyology final siren, two errant kicks by Richmond. Both of them trying to take on the centre corridor. Both of them failed. That's two in an entire game of football of a lot of attacking and positive play. They were precise. Their ball handling in close, magnificent. As was observed by yourself so often was the likes of Cocksham and Martin, a light to which moths were attracted and St Kilda were the moths and the shining lights were Richmond because as soon as the numbers became obvious to stars like Cochran and Martin in terms of they've got the ball and they've got three or four players on them. And they didn't even need to think. They knew that disposal, getting the ball out, quickly put it in the hands of the likes of the ever-improving Graham, the now star-shy Bolton, Lambert, who always, like Graham, is running and creating space and opportunities. And really... Richmond had response after response off the back line. Basha Hawley started a touch edgeily and worked his way into true Basha Hawley form. Jaden Short is now one of the really quality board-using backmen in the competition with short hands. And then you get the ball up forward and you've got two big key forwards that have monstered St Kilda recently and they monster them again. As I said, St Kilda's problem lies in... Not getting to the contest at the right time and then dropping their heads as they've done twice in the last three weeks. Poor showing. Maybe they should get him back into the purple for Maddie's match as they did in the first game. Well, you mentioned uh, some of
0: the, they're not even emerging now. They've been, I mean, Shy Bolton, a good example. He's been a terrific player for a couple of years now. Jack Graham, I think people more and more are uh, being alerted to just how important he is to Richmond with that tremendous endurance running and a strong body too. So he's capable of doing some tough contester work and getting the ball on the outside and damaging near goal. He's been a fantastic pickup for them. I really like Jake Arts. Uh, Very unlucky not to be part of that premiership last year. A small forward who was playing VFL footy. Richmond have grabbed him none without any fanfare and turned him into another very accomplished AFL player as they do with all those players coming into that side. They've got so many good players now. And yet still you hear, I heard it again on Thursday night. I can't remember who it was, but someone talking about, you know, compare the personnel of this side to say Hawthorne's three-peat side of 2013 to 15 or Geelong or Brisbane. Well, I don't know. I'm a bit, sort of suspicious of that comment, because I think the Richmond are overflowing with really, really good players. And we're just behind the pace, really, in in recognising just how good they are. They are a wonderful team. Uh, Camden McIntosh is another one, really important player to them, just hasn't been acknowledged. We're forever, I guess, concentrating on Rewalt, Lynch, Martin, Koch, maybe Edwards now, you know, but there are so many good players in that side. But more than that, it's their system. What a fantastic system. We talked about the moths to the flame. They have the perfect balance of inside work. They exert pressure on opponents like no other side can. But it's when they get the ball to the outside, they're positioning almost the best I've seen in AFL footy. A wonderful side. Quick word from
1: you on St Kilda. How big a strife are they in? Well, big enough to know that they're not competitive, with a side like Richmond. I mean, they came out there. They played a good first quarter. Their attitude was right. I will say this, that they are learning very quickly. And I think this would be the same of most teams. The Ruckman is an important position and they have desperately missed what was one of their great strengths last year was the combination of Marshall and Paddy Ryder. It allowed Marshall to go forward. He's a good marking player. So they missed them terribly and some of the players in that side i know brad hill came under enormous scrutiny for his game fair enough some of the players in that side in 2021 have wages that are not matching their performances Rowan. yeah look they've certainly been
0: very disappointing been obliterated now two weeks of the past three and um maybe that uh, big comeback win against west coast will be the uh apparition almost Uh, let's hope they can turn it around anyway because it was good to see them in finals again all right that was Thursday night Uh, big game for both sides on Friday night in Perth could they produce another of those famous backs to the wall wins well no as it transpired certainly started very well five goals to three in the first term But West Coast really dominant thereafter in general play. Probably could have been a little bit further ahead. Collingwood did come again late, but West Coast never looked likely to drop this one. In the end, 27-point victors. 16 goals, 7-103 to the Pies. 11-10-76. Two great performances from two very mobile key forwards. Jack Darling, five goals to him. And five goals to the rapidly improving Oscar Allen. Ten between them. Three goals to Dom Sheed in an absolute purple patch late in the third quarter. Singles to Brandt, Kelly and Kennedy. For the pies, three goals to Darcy Moore who played up forward. Two each to Grundy and McCreary. Two also to Majacek. Singles to Callum Brown and Cameron. Uh, Bad night for the Pies finally. also finishing with more serious injuries. Jordan Degoe, of course, uh, broken nose and really knocked around the facial area and concussed. He will miss Anzac Day. Jeremy Howe, a hamstring. He will miss Anzac Day. And Brodie Myercheck towards the finish, also injuring a shoulder. So doing it tough in terms of wins and losses, the Pies, doing it very tough on the injury front as well. What do you
1: see as the main takeaways from this one? I thought they were unlucky, Collingwood. I know that injuries are a part of the game and I guess the effect of an injury has been somewhat diluted by the injury sub. So you do get 22 players. They had it at least for a short while. And the reason I think they are unlucky is because they certainly won that first quarter and they looked 15 points to the good. They looked to right up for the battle and how many times... And we sold Collingwood Short coming into a game over in Perth only to start thinking, you know what, they're pretty good when they get on the road, especially here in Perth. I was feeling that same sort of feeling. Uh, Losing to Goey and Howe were big losses for them. Beyond that, and, and when I say unlucky, you've got to take what's served up to you. They then had those twin towers, and that was really the difference of the game. I thought they were the two best players on the ground. He's a beauty, Oscar Allen, isn't he? Got me thinking, you know, blonde key forwards, I've always had a bit of a set against them. Of course, Nick Rewalt changed my opinion somewhat. But I just sort of picture the blonde... Growing up, the blonde key forward was a more vulnerable type. I don't know. Worry do you, do use, well, that's what I'm talking about. That A more, you know, a, a less... Sturdy forward were some of our blonde forwards. I remember Bergman from Melbourne. Um, and there were just a few snowy-head key forwards who didn't quite fit the bill. Now, like Simon Beasley was a very good player, don't get me wrong, but he—he he, do you know what I'm talking about?
0: I do just what a, I do know what you're talking about. Maybe an, um, we should discuss this another
1: time. Yeah, no, I'm just saying. I thought um, maybe a bit unfair, but Oscar Allen, he's tough. He's got a great pair of hands. He's great when the ball hits the ground. West Coast will be tested by deeper midfields, Rowan. And I think that is where both teams have a bit of a hole. But West Coast will get filled when Shuey hopefully makes a full recovery this time and Yo come back. Whereas Collingwood, with Adams out for most of the year, have no obvious answer. Braden Sear, to me, he's not your answer. I don't think they've got a lot of depth in that department. I think it's a long, cold winter for Collingwood fans, whereas West Coast live to fight another day in very real terms.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think uh, West Coast, a couple of important points for them. So Jack Redden won. Uh, certainly their midfield is troubled for depth, but I think to that end, Jack Redden's return to form was really important for them. Tim Kelly looks like he's turning in a more solid year than last year. And Alex Witherden, a really good first game from him in the Eagles' colours. And he will be valuable for them as well. Andrew Gaff appears to have turned around his fairly uh, pedestrian start to the season as well. So some really encouraging signs for the Eagles, I think. And they're very much a player, provided, and we did speak about this on Friday night, uh, provided they can finish in that top four. I agree with you on Collingwood. I think it's almost transition time for them. We talked about the losses of um, not just Trelaw but Stevenson and Phillips, two players they could really do with at the moment. And we're seeing the contribution uh, of Pendlebury and Sidebottom, as great as both have been, just beginning to wane a bit. They just don't have the sort of impact on games that they used to. So, look, they've got some list issues, the pies, of their own creation. Uh, I think they're going to pay for them severely over the next couple of years. The coach, that is an issue as well. We did talk about that on footyology final, Siren. I think at this stage, the betting would be that Nathan Buckley probably isn't going to be coaching Collingwood in 2022.
1: Do you agree with that? Do you agree Uh, with that? Yeah, I think I can't see it. I can't see him coaching next year. Just very quickly on West Coast midfield, there is a forgotten man who was due to play in the waffle this week. Now you talk to any body about who they've got out. Luke Shuey, Elliot Yo. We know um, there are other players. Patrick Shelley, Liam Ryan didn't play this week. You know who I'm talking about? I do. Mark Hutchings. Exactly. Now he goes into that midfield. We know he's a run with player, but when fully fit, he runs with and gets the ball and has a knack of kicking a goal. That does. Sort of, it, it fills out their midfield a bit, doesn't it? And he he's back, I believe, in the waffle this
0: week. Yeah, very important, of course. Did a famously did a fantastic lockdown job on Steele Sidebottom in the two thousand and eighteen Grand Final, and really since then uh, has really been injury free. So you're right; that is actually a really good comment because he does has tended to be a little bit forgotten. He will be valuable for them and just give that midfield more balance. But good win for the Eagles. Big. Problems for the Pies. That was Thursday and Friday evening. Four games on the Saturday. Well, uh, two Twilight games on Saturday because of the AFLW Grand Final. The first of them, well, we did uh, predict this one could be a little bit nasty for the visitors. And so it transpired. A massive win to the Western Bulldogs. 17-16, 118, defeating Gold Coast 8-8. 56. The goal kickers saw the doggies three to Bontempelli, two each to Dunkley, Trelaw, Bruce, and Norton. Singles, Wood, English, Hunter, McNeil, Liberatore, and Scott. For Gold Coast, three to Corbett, two to King. Singles to Lacocious, Rankin, Sexton. Well, the game was, you could have had a pretty fair indication where it was going at quarter time when it was four goals to none, and the game. Absolutely over at halftime, Finally, uh, by which time the score was 11-4 to just one goal, three.
1: That one goal came on the halftime siren to Jack Lukosius. That really was the main interest in the game at that stage as the Bulldogs' defence were desperately trying to head into halftime with a clean shoot. Now, interestingly, the defensive part of the Bulldogs' game came together a lot more solidly than the attacking part of their game. What I'm saying is they completely circumvented Gold Coast's ability to score by working high up to the half-back line. Alex Keith was making, you know, he, he just had created a wall there, took Ben King to the absolute cleaners in the first half. Easton Wood, beautiful read of the game. But it was a return of the likes of Hayden Crozier that meant there was no way forward for the Gold Coast. Their ball movement was too slow. And with an undersized and immature forward line, you can't just pop it up there and not expect the likes of Cozier or Eastern Wood to take an intercept mark. It was so bloody obvious, they sorted it out at halftime. as far as the Bulldogs, the scoring machine didn't get going really till sort of five, ten minutes into the second quarter. I'll tell you what, had it because they had enough of the ball. Really, they could have been 20 goals up at half-time. They were just a little bit cautious in ball movement. It didn't get a heck of a lot out of Josh Bruce. Norton bobbed up here or there. But the goals were, they were sort of um, not calculated. They were just by dint of numbers, with Dunkley getting to the fall of a couple of balls, Just really surging his way through on a couple of times to snap early goals. Adam Trelaw, he just knows where the goals are all of a sudden. The game was over at halftime. Full credit to Gold Coast to come out and win that third quarter comprehensively. And you know what? At three-quarter time, mathematically, they could have won the game and had one of the greatest wins in the history of football. The problem is that it's not maths. It's football. I reckon Bulldogs would have got a right old roasting by Luke Beveridge. And it was transmission resumed as normal in the last quarter and any hopes of a famous, famous victory quickly disappeared. So an easy win to the Dogs. Well, it's about the one positive
0: I think the Suns could take away, isn't it? That's six goals to two third term, which, you know, we have talked about their resilience this year. It's better than it used to be. Uh, gee, it's it's pretty small consolation though, isn't it? I'll tell you one thing about the Bulldogs, they have assembled what, on performance so far certainly in terms of names and quantity is one of the great modern day midfields and uh have a look at the possession count in this game the three leading possession winners on the ground josh dunkley with 38 touches and two goals what a game he played 35 to jack mcrae when doesn't he get 30 odd and 33 and three goals to marcus bontempelli in a milestone game for him Definitely one of the great players of the modern era is Marcus Bontempelli. They are a serious, serious flag chance finding. Um, Look, a few people were jumping on. I was one of them. I tipped them second on my pro season ladder. But uh, after a, a fairly pedestrian opening win over Collingwood, I haven't seen anything to dissuade me from that view because they've got it all going. The one area where they're a lot more potent this year is definitely up forward. You know, Aaron Norton playing some great footy the midfielders are chipping in for more goals. So a much better um, attacking team and in, in terms of scoreboard conversion. And uh, we keep saying we haven't even seen the much-vaunted number one draft pick, Jamara Eugle-Hagan. And he can add further to that should someone go down with injury. We're seeing Tim English go forward, kick goals. So defence was never a strong point back in their premiership days of 2016. Sorry, attack wasn't. And it is now. Their defence is performing as well as ever and they've got a better midfield than they had then. It's all set up for them. I think at this stage they are clearly the biggest danger to Richmond of winning the 2021 flag.
1: It's pretty irresistible, that midfield, Rowan. It's working. It is working. I had a sort of theory that after that first game that they're handling the ball too much, but they're working it out for law is a finisher now. He's playing purely as an outside mid and star. Great effort in the second half by one Gold Coast player. Who am I talking about when I say it's good night from me and it's good night from him? You aren't talking about Troy Corbett. You're talking about Ronnie Corbett of the two Ronnies. Well, that's spot on. Well played. Because that was Ronnie Barker, of course, saying good night on behalf of Ronnie Corbett. And uh, he's all right, Ronnie. He
0: did well. (laughs) <laughs> Ronnie, yeah, I'm sure that's it. Actually, it probably isn't his nickname because none of the players know it. would have not a clue who the two Ronnies were. Anyway, a very convincing win to the Western Bulldogs. Now, at the same time, that game was going on. Usually, there's only one Twilight Saturday game. There were two this round, and the second one was a clinker. Let's talk about that. Ah! It was the Battle of the Bridge, and uh haven't been too many memorable Uh, Sydney derbies between the Swans and the Giants but I think this will be remembered as one because it was a nail-biter it was tense, it was tough some great individual performances and in the end a tremendous come-from-behind win by the Giants getting up by two points despite their own inaccuracy nine goals, 17-71 two-point victors over the Swans 10-9-69 two late goals, they still trail by it was 10 points with three minutes left on the clock. Toby Green, who had racked up seven behinds until that stage, managed to take a mark and snap one around the corner from about 20 metres out. And then Josh Kelly channeling a bit of Nick Davis, very similar goal to Nick Davis's in that famous 2005 thousand and five semi-final, except this time the Swans on the wrong end of it. He managed to get free at a stoppage near goal, snapped hurriedly on his left foot and it went through, giving the Giants a lead. They had to survive some more attacking by the Swansea so, and a shot after the siren, after Toby Green took out the legs underneath Tom McCartan. His shot, though, a fair way out and was never going to threaten the goals. And the Giants hung on for their second win in a row and a real morale builder for them, a terrific win, the goal kickers. For the Swans, five to Franklin, three to Haywood. Impressive in his first game back for the Swans. Two to Papley. And for GWS, two to Himmelberg, two to Finlayson. Singles, the rest, Daniels, Riccardi, O'Halloran, Toby Green and Kelly. Uh, Really tough game for Can I just say, allow me a moment of self-indulgence. No, let me
1: say, first of all, well done for tipping the Giants because I know you're a big South Melbourne I always call them South Melbourne oh, South I don't apologise You're a big fan of Sydney this year Having put them in your eight So you explained why you were going off pissed As they say But I reckon you might have got the margin correct as well In the words of the
0: immortal Mike Williamson I tipped this GWS by two points So uh, allow me some bragging rights on that one But this was a great win. This was a great win by the Giants, wasn't it? And they've really rediscovered their mojo. Their attack on the footy's good. They're starting to link up on the outside a bit better. And and look, let's be honest, but for inaccuracy and poor
1: conversion, they might have actually won this game by a little bit more. I think both teams can consider themselves fair winners of this game. I'll explain why. First of all, GWS, absolutely. And I've always said... You can't just convert missed shots to goals. That's not how football works. It goes back to the middle. But really, especially in that last quarter, they were bombarding the goals and they absolutely would have been unlucky losers. With Toby Green, I think he had no goal six before he kicked that all-important last goal off a great mark, courageous running back to the flight, basically said, I'm the captain, I'm making it happen. Last goal by Kelly was fantastic. They had good performance. I was really impressed in the dying minutes by the desperation and also competency of Brent Daniels. He put himself into those last few minutes and made himself a key player. Throughout the game, Lockie Ash, who we commented on last week, keep an eye on this kid. He's a star. He's a really good player, Lachlan Ash, and had a great game off the half-back line. For the Sydney Swans... Let's be fair, we've been singing the praises of the tremendous trio of Campbell, Goulden and McDonald, And they're starting to learn that the realities of AFL football are thus, you're going to have to still serve an apprenticeship. And they didn't get a whole lot out of them. Now, why could Sydney say that they deserve to win? At the worst possible time, their main man, I'm going to call him their main man, Tom Hickey, got what may be a PCL injury he tried to play on at the end of the third quarter but it was knee on knee and he couldn't play in that last quarter and all of a sudden they became very vulnerable out of the middle and the loss of Hickey was telling did they win by two points or two yards Rowan because I reckon that's that's as close as Sydney got almost to kick that winning goal at the very end with Luke Parker snapping over his shoulder Wouldn't have been more than a yard or so from going right through the middle. Great game, justified result. And you know what? A rare close game between these two arch rivals. Yeah, they have had a
0: history of one sort of uh, getting right on top of the other one. Uh, I wouldn't be too panicky if I were the Swans. It is interesting, though, those sort of cricket scores they were kicking across the first three rounds certainly come back to the field in that regard the last couple of weeks. And I just wondered to what extent that his opponents and, and the coaching across the league generally having sorted out that early attacking bent and becoming a bit tighter and a bit more strategic defensively. Also, perhaps some of those, uh, the, the likes of Campbell, Golden, McInerney, et cetera, just coming back to the field a little bit as, uh, well, in, in some heavier conditions and with the defensive pressure having ramped up a bit. So it'll be interesting to see how they fare over the next couple of weeks. But all of a sudden, the Giants, who we were talking about as a potential sort of bottom three, bottom four side, they have been two really, really credible wins. One against Collingwood, of course, at the MCG, and against a side that was flying. So you can't knock their credentials in terms of the wins they've racked up be Interesting to see whether this means the start of them turning things around on a longer term basis. Time How big a loss? Tell. Tom Hickey, Rowan? Yeah, massive loss, massive loss. And, uh, and going again, forwards? Yeah, well, uh, uh, big loss. Uh, you know, we, we've got Naismith, I guess. I'll tell them simply. Yeah, well, you know, they, they have some big tools in reserve, but uh, Hickey was absolutely flying. And you're quite right, that could be a very costly loss indeed. Right, two twilight games on Saturday, two to be played at the same time, 7:25 p.m. on Saturday evening. Let's talk about them. At the MCG, Carlton took on Port Adelaide and the wash-up was a very comfortable 28-point victory to the power. 15 goals, 6, 96 defeating the inaccurate Blues 9-14. 68. The goal kickers for Port, three to Robbie Gray, three to Mitch He's playing some pretty good footy for the power. Two goals each to Fantasia and Dixon. Singles to Lysette, Marshall, Amon, Woodcock, and Rosie. For the Blues, just the one multiple goal kicker that was Levi Casbalt with two. Singles to Fogarty, Walsh, Mackay, McGovern, Cottrell, Nunes, and Pitonet. Uh, I don't know what the headline is out of this match, Finey. Is it that uh, Port getting the job done pretty efficiently and looking pretty competent or uh, a pretty lame and uh, lethargic sort of performance from the Blues?
1: Well, uh, six of one, half a dozen of the other, Rowan. Depends which way you want to approach the game. I guess disaster sells more papers or gets more clicks than praise. So we're going to see the Blues come under a lot of scrutiny. I see Patrick Cripps has copped his fair whack after the game. People saying that... uh, Some well-known scribes saying that his leadership style is glitzy but not effective. He doesn't really grind out games and do what champion midfielders do. Is that warranted? Yeah, I think that's a bit tough on a guy who's banged up his body doing exactly what people want him to do. And now it's a hard ask on him because he just doesn't get support in the midfield. You know what? Carlton had a couple of players last night that aren't AFL standard. And when you play a team like Port Adelaide, you can't have players that aren't AFL standard. Who am I talking about? Well, I'll be a bit harsh on a guy like Tom Williamson. He's played a bit of football, but he's actually not. You know, his disposal, his ability to get the ball or stop an opponent is right down there with the bottom six of a bottom team. I'm sorry, that's the truth. You know who else is an AFL standard? Mark Murphy. Not anymore. Sorry, he doesn't get the ball enough. He doesn't use the ball well enough. And he's bowled over. He's, on many occasions, he's a witch's hat. He just gets rolled over the top of. No, I think, really, time to pull the pin. And that's harsh but it's honest. Can I just pick you up on that though? Surely as sort of light
0: on for talent as Carlton might be, Mark Murphy on talent is still in
1: the top 10 at least in that team. No. Well, he had eight or nine possessions last night, none of them effective. And he's physically not able to put his stamp on the game by holding a tackle. What so about he his other tackle. performances this season? Not great. Hmm. Okay. Not great. Sorry. I just don't I, I think he's past him. Mate, he doesn't play in the midfield anymore and he doesn't kick goals as a forward. And I tell you what, I'm being bloody kind to Eddie Betts because he shouldn't be in an AFL team anymore either. I know, but I, I mean uh, I, I, I mean I'm just I'm playing
0: devil's advocate here. But if you go
1: to Mark Murphy's not a forward, Rowan. Yeah, but he's if, just if, not if he's not worth his spotting aside, who plays ahead of him? Well, that shows where Carlton are, unfortunately. Um, who plays ahead of him? Cunningham, I would have thought, plays ahead of him. Uh, if he can't take a turn in the midfield, which he can't, he's not. He's, he, they just don't use him in the midfield. Mm. You can't have him as a forward. He doesn't. He's not a goal kicker and he doesn't get the ball in the forward line. It's a fairly bad combination. He doesn't get the ball. Well, I'm, I'm being hard. I'll tell you who else. I'll tell you who's lucky, and that's Mark Pitney, that Malcolm Blyde isn't his coach. Because with a name like Pitney, I reckon I know what he'd call him. Look, Carlton were terrible. And what one of their big problems last night is they'd kick a goal. And for the first five goals they kicked, you know what happened after their first six goals. They kicked six goals. And you know what happened after each goal? Port Adelaide kicked two. Mm. Now, that's just that just shows an inability by Carlton to get a foothold in the game. They've got their their other problem is Adam Sard is injured so he's not running out of the back line. And Zach Williams is undisciplined. So, I oh, think got problems all over the ground, mate. All right, well, I want to talk about Port Adelaide because,
0: you know, they were the side that was on top of the ladder, literally the entirety of last season, of course, just lost the preliminary final. Are they a better side again this season? Well, they're certainly every bit as good, I reckon. A couple of reasons. Uh, one up forward and one in defence, I think. The one up forward is Georgiades, just having another guy Capable of kicking multiple goals, and they were able to. I'm not sure if they'd even done this before, but um, the capacity to play Dixon, Marshall, and Georgiades in the same forward setup. They've also got a couple of fantastic medium-sized goal kickers, both of whom can venture into the mid middle of the ground if needs be. In Robbie Gray, whose three goals in the first half were critical. And Aratio Fantasia, who's uh, been pretty good value for them so far. And in defence, and we've talked about it before, Aliyah Aliyah gives them another strong body. So credit to Port, because I think they were very close last year. Could they possibly improve? Well, I think structurally they have improved. And I think that extra depth and just covering all those bases a bit better makes them an even bigger premiership chance this
1: year than last. you agree with I that? I agree. Yeah. Aaliyah Aaliyah, I thought he was best on ground. Maybe not on numbers, boy. He improves that backline. His ability to get to a contest
0: and spoil it. He's got fantastic judgment, and I think that's over. You know, we talk about his big body and negating ability, but he's also a great reader of the footy. And again, a mystery why Sydney let him go. But uh, their loss is definitely being Port Adelaide's gain. All right, what a lot of food for thought coming out of that MCG clash at the same time as that and in vastly different weather conditions, there was a game going on at the Gabba. Well, I never want to hear that line, uh, Queensland beautiful one day, perfect the next, because it was far from perfect for this Saturday night game. In fact, as the sides were warming up, absolutely pelting down, and uh, this game was effectively decided in the first quarter. One side, to their credit, made absolute light of those difficult conditions and handled the ball beautifully. The other side played some incredibly dumb wet-weather footy and couldn't handle the ball at all. And therein lay the difference between the two teams. This was Brisbane, in the end, very, very easy victors over a disappointing Essendon. The final scores: is 15-12, 102 the Lions, Top the ton in those conditions, no mean feet. And 6-9-45 to Essendon. The goals, three to Hipwood, two to McStay, two to Joe Danaher, who had a pretty se- successful first-up appearance against his old club. Two to Pryor, two to McCarthy, two to Neil. Singles to Cameron and McLuggage. For Essendon, the old warhorse, Kale Hooker up forward, the sole... Uh, I guess winner up there, four goals to him, singles to Stringer and McDonald, tip and woody. But finally, a quarter time, four, two to three behinds. In those conditions, that was uh, probably worth closer to 10 goals and any doubts at all uh, removed by halftime, by which time it was a six-goal margin. And uh, Brisbane wasn't done there. Another five goals to three in the third term and 3-2 to in the last. So, in fact, they won every quarter. Dominant performance. uh, Dominant in midfield particularly. Stronger bodies. Um, I've got to say, though, I'll let you have a crack at this, but really disappointed with uh, Essendon's, first off, their refusal to apply a tag to Lockie Neal, who had been struggling but certainly played himself back into form with 38 disposals and two goals. And also a real unwillingness, if you like, on the part of, uh, well, old-name names too. Devin Smith, really disappointed with his game. He was purportedly supposed to be putting a, a bit of a clamp on Daniel Rich at halfback. He failed to do that with the impact that Daniel Rich, by foot, was absolutely lethal for the Lions and launched a number of attacks for them. But real return to form for the Lions on home turf. And they will get a lot of confidence from that victory. Do you agree?
1: Absolutely. They're back in business because they played with the resolve of a team that expects to be part of the equation come premiership time and knew that it was now or never. You don't start the season one, four and have a real say in a premiership. But this turns it around for them. They've got work still to do. Daniel Rich at the start of the last quarter had 905 metres gained, looked certain to join the rarefied air of the 1,000 or the kilometre club, as they call it. And it's, a, what do they call it? The, not the mile, the mile long club, the kilometre long club, not high. Um, but he didn't quite finish off the game. So, God, if that was Devin Smith's job, job poorly done. Lockie Neal and Jared Lyons were fantastic Joe Danaher had his all-time most possessions in a game of football, driven on, I think, by a little bit of, you know, um, what, do they, what do they call it? Fire in the belly, piss in the vine- vinegar in the piss, as they say. He was a bit, he was very focused, let's just say that. Uh, what was the score at halftime, Rowan? Because I want a score review.
0: The score at halftime was Brisbane 7-5 to Essendon 1-5. goal
1: yeah, I think that goal should be taken off Essendon for the most incompetent piece of umpiring. It was like the umpire had a little argument with himself. Tail Hooker got the ball. What was it? Ninety meters out. Mm. Faked a handball. The umpire called play on, and then gave a fifty-meter penalty. He did. I did.
0: Uh, I did tweet about that. I didn't know you could actually pay pay a free kick after having called play
1: on. Yeah. Yeah. Did he? Does he often contradict himself? That bloke. It's like he had a personal argument. <laughs> it's like he disagreed with himself. Play on. No, it's not play on. So why say it? Anyhow, Hooker. Hooker was very good actually. He's a good kick at goal, Kale Hooker. Mm. He's a beautiful kick at goal. Sometimes. To, <laughs> sometimes. Well, hey, where is he in the Coleman? He kicked four again last night. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, him he's in the leaderboard. He's in the leaderboard. Yeah. Ah, good effort. Um bad news. For Essendon, for Anzac Day, losing Ridley. Mm. And, yeah, Hipwood. Have, have as the MRO adjudicated on that? Uh, not as we record this,
0: but we should have a decision uh, pretty shortly. Yeah, so that's a big loss on
1: Anzac Day. Ridley will have to undergo concussion protocol.
0: Can I just say, I've got to say, uh, it probably is a disgruntled Essendon supporter talking, but... I've been really impressed with the young guys coming into that side. I think Nick Cox has shown plenty. I thought last night Archie Perkins showed plenty too, and they gave him a bit of a workout on Lockie Neal in the second half of that game, and it was good experience for him. And I thought he battled on really gamely. The guys yeah. I've been more disappointed with are the alleged leaders. Now, Dyson Heppel, you talked about Mark Murphy. Now I'm not saying Dyson Heppel isn't worth his spot in the side, but geez, he was invisible last night. He's looking increasingly slow. They're not getting much value out of the disposals he does get. He's got some real issues, Dyson, and unfortunately injuries have taken a toll. I think Andy McGrath, as good as he is, has been relatively disappointing this season. And Zach Merritt, look, he has had a good season, but he racks up so many touches. I just question how damaging those touches are, and I think you might have mentioned this the other week. He's an accumulator rather than a damaging midfielder. And this is a major issue. And it means that Essendon's midfield just isn't very productive. And look, Jai Caldwell was a loss to that midfield, albeit you're talking about a guy who's only played a handful of AFL games. This is an ordinary midfield. And it's, you know, I'm talking about supporters here, but the number of Essendon supporters who go on about, we should be doing better with names like that in the midfield. I would venture that the names in that midfield aren't necessarily that impressive. They are light years off the best midfields in the competition. They're struggling for fit bodies up forward and down back. Now, we always knew this was going to be a developmental-type season for Essendon. They debuted Zach Reed. Look, he struggled. Terrible conditions to make your debut in. But the future is where the kids are, Essendon. And I, I really want to see all those kids put in that side before the end of the season. Because otherwise, it's just another year of treading water. And effectively, wasting time. Um, It's going to be a tough year for the Bombers,
1: Farnie. Yeah. Well, it was always going to be a developmental year and those kids are very promising, though they don't have the physiques to play big, wet weather games yet. They'll be great. I've got a couple of positives for you from last night. I tell you, he's been really good this year and against counterintuitively to me, given his first few years in football, is a really good backman. So you should be happy with him. And a guy that's in and out of the team a lot. I thought Mason Redmond was pretty good last night too. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I didn't think he was great, but uh, all
0: right. I'll take that on board. Okay. That is, <laughs> I'm pretty pissed off with him. That is Saturday football. Three games remaining on the Sunday. Hi. Well I had a I tipped this earlier, Miss Rand, your turn in this game finally, because you tipped Fremantle to upset Adelaide in Adelaide, and that's precisely what happened. A 12-point victory to the Dockers, 12, 12, 84, defeating the crows 11, 6, 72. The goal kickers for the crows, two to Rowe, two to Walker, singles the rest for Fremantle. Four goals to Matt a Mr. Coupling might have kicked as well. Two to Travis Collier. Two to Lockie Schultz, who was important in that last half. Singles to Frederick, Aish, Mundy and Darcy. They held sway for much of this game. Adelaide did head them a couple of times and you thought, they're going to go on with it. But Freo really finishing off the game, the stronger side finding. In fact, they really took charge in the second half of that last quarter, didn't they? Four goals in eight minutes as they took charge at the centre bounces, which uh, was an area early in the game they'd been struggling in. Coach Justin Longmuir talked about their need to get it right. They did get it right, and their better players really rose to the top. David Mundy in that five, particularly very good in that last quarter when they needed cool heads. And a really good win on the road to Fremantle, badly needed, because we have talked about how inept they'd looked on the road in those two previous road trips to Melbourne. This one to Adelaide, of course but a far different result and a credit to them and a credit to you
1: for tipping it for Well, there are three reasons I tipped them. Reason number one was because they had underperformed so poorly on the road in the first two games. that Surely that was a opportunity for Justin Longmiller to sort of draw the line in the sand and focus on if we are at any aspirations this season, we have got to get our heads around playing away from home. So, I'm sure there would have been a particular focus on drowning out the noise of the Frio world and doing it away from Fremantle. Rory Lobb's a big inclusion, Rowan, and he sort of showed he was because, you can use him in the ruck and he's dangerous up forward and he just is a big inclusion. And reason number three is the form. Now, I don't think we should be advocating betting, but for those people that like a little bit of a punt, check out what price David Mundy is the Brownlow. He has had a magnificent start to the year. He plays in the midfield and he plays inside and out. Whereas Fife, when he's in the midfield tends to just do the hard bullocking work of getting the ball out. Mundy's kicking's beautiful. He is, he's a freak mate. He is. We we talk about the worries of an aging Murphy and Heppel. Don't worry about an aging Mundy. He'll be their record games player this year. He's a suit. He is playing so well. So, Yeah, I'm just going to check his odds out. There are three good reasons. They lost Chera pretty early on. They were able to resist. Look, Taylor Walker seemed to injure an ankle and that affected his mobility. So a bit of an advantage there for Frio. Frio unleashed a new centre-half forward onto football. Tracy. And I can say he was no cyclone. He was pitiful. (laughs) I don't want to be unfair. But he really didn't look up to the mark. So, Taberna came to the fore with four goals. Your man was brilliant, Rowan. Do you know who I'm talking to? Uh, Schultz. You, 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 yeah, you've got an obsession with that show. To the point <laughs> where you described one of the earlier games as a clinker. Because I knew you wanted to get the word <laughs> clink, clink into the discussion. Correct. My goodness, Lockheed Schultz played well. Yeah, you know, he was fantastic. So they had the best players on the ground, Adelaide. Without Rory Sloane, they still bloody try hard. They're a good team, but better than we thought, but not not great. And well within Fremantle's Bailey as they say.
0: Yeah, look, a, a couple of um, guys I noticed too, and Freo a better side when guys like this pop up. I thought James Ash was pretty impressive today. Oh, he was. Um, Yeah, kicked a really important goal for them in that third quarter. Uh, And the other guy who is just coming along, getting a little bit better by the week, I reckon, is Sean Darcy. And capable now of getting on the scoreboard too. Yeah. Uh, Kicked a goal to basically put the game beyond doubt. So, um, you know, we've talked about their over-reliance, over-dependence, if you like, on those more senior players. And Mundy, terrific. But look, Andrew Brayshaw, and he is a senior player for them now. He was terrific as well. We're seeing Matt Tabiner sort of getting a clear run at it injury-free, and seeing what he's capable of. Probably could have ended up with six goals rather than four. So there's more jumping on board for the Dockers. I still don't trust them. I still don't have a lot of faith in them, Fionny. But when they turn in performances like that, let's hope it gives them some confidence for their next road trip because we know they can produce it at home. If they can produce something like that, more times than not when they're on the road, they are going to be a seriously competitive side. Adelaide, what do we think about Adelaide? I mean, um, you know, they've overperformed in terms of what we expected of them. They're now three and two, aren't they? But uh, we still would have taken that as a pretty good return at the
1: start of the year, wouldn't we? Yeah, great effort. And they fought the game out. They got a good... Backman, Duda is a really good player. A little bit undersized, but a great intercept mark. Walker's had a great season. We like Lockie Shoal. They miss Rory Sloan. O'Brien was better today, I thought. They've got reason. Oh, they played Fogarty on the ball, which was interesting. Mm. He got a bit of leather, which is unusual for him. I'm not as much of a doubting Thomas when it comes to free as you are, Rowan. But I, I understand what you're saying. They've got a few black marks to be erased before we really trust them well a good win
0: on the road for the dockers certainly uh time now to talk about the second game on the sunday agenda well this was the 320 game at the mcg and it featured a team that's struggling but been relatively competitive in hawthorne up against one of those undefeated sides Uh, I think you call this a potential banana skin game, and quite right, because we've seen the Hawks upset other teams who have been going all right. And it's the sort of game Melbourne has had a nasty habit of dropping. Would they hang on? Well, in the end, they did emphatically. And in fact, if you looked at the final scores, you could even argue a little misleading because this was a really tight contest for three and a bit quarters. In fact, Hawthorne kicked the first goal of the last term to bring it to under a kick. But from there, well, Melbourne exploded. An eight-goal final term and convincing 50-point winners in the end. 15-14, 104, defeating Hawthorne, 8-6-54. The goals for the Hawks, two to O'Brien, two to Bruce, two to Hanrahan, singles to Moore and McAvoy for the Demons, three to Langdon. What a season he's having three to Milksham, two to McDonald, two to Brown, two to Petrarca, two to Pickett, and a single to Max Gorn. Finally, Melbourne, for much of the day, had trouble converting their opportunities. Did they come good in a rush, though? I took some notes on that last quarter. They kicked five goals in 10 minutes in the last term, and in fact, seven in a 15-minute burst of potent attacking and very impressive-looking
1: football. I was impressed. Were you impressed? Yeah. Look, they looked like exploding for much of the afternoon, but they were quelled. Quelled by a former Melbourne player who had the angry pills for lunch, Sam Frost. I liked his game. He was particularly <laughs> unfair. You, know, you see so many times in the modern game, where and we've seen it this year, haven't we, where guys playing against their old team are, a friendly and there's Bonhamie, (laughs) not with Sam Frost. He was looking to take scalps. I liked it. And their tall forwards were not working out for them. They were getting little out of McDonald and Mitch Brown. And to be honest, Hawthorne were right into the game up to their ears. The only thing stopping them really from taking hold of the game was the fact that Melbourne's captain was imperious. He was fantastic. Max Gorm was controlling things in the ruck. He had McAvoy done to a dinner. I wondered why Hawthorne dropped Segler for this game. Interesting call, isn't it, when you're up against such a good Ruckman? McAvoy could have done with the chop-out, I'll tell you that much. He was brave, fought on, but got soundly beaten throughout the afternoon. Petrarca was pretty quiet for the first two and a half quarters. Langdon was good. Hunt was good. I was all in all, and Clayton Oliver was good. from Hawthorne's perspective, Hanrahan good early. They were just fighting the game hard. Unfortunately for Hawthorne, the dikes in the wall, the fingers in the dike, I should say. (laughs) I'll get that right. It's a difficult expression. Filled with problems. But in the end, it burst. The dam did burst. Melcham came good. I feel sorry for Mitch Brown, because he actually kicked two of the early goals in that last quarter to put the game beyond doubt, he's only warming the seat for Wiedemann or for Ben Brown. You know who was great when the game was a hot contest was Keziah Pickett. Hasn't he become a really important forward and even getting up the ground and doing some work. So Melbourne, with those two big men ready to return, must be, you know, their supporters, so much pain tonight, must be loving the world.
0: Yeah, look, it's going kind to of really interesting selection possibilities for them. I wonder if almost too many options at their disposal because they're starting again to generate the sort of goal returns from their medium sized forwards and midfield that they were getting in 2018 when they didn't necessarily have great targets then up forward. So it'd be interesting to see how they handle it. The other guy who I thought came in and gave him terrific service, and I'm a huge fan of this man, um, is Michael Hibbert. Um, a terrific mm. dive by him and spoil at one stage to save a certain goal. He adds something, and we haven't mentioned Christian Salem, who's having a career-best season at this stage. So they've got really good players all over the place. Look, if they can bring in both Brown and Wiedemann and somehow still get the same sort of input from those more medium-sized forwards, uh, wow, boy, they've got options suddenly all over the place. It's a great midfield. Langdon has been phenomenal for them. Just really gives them some outside run to go with all that contested ball they win. And as I said, Petrarca, you know, look, he was was serviceable, but not one of his great games. Um, The fact that they can have that sort of contribution from him and still win comfortably says it all, really. So great win for them. Look, the Hawks, they were pretty competitive for three quarters. That's about where they're at, I reckon. Look, Dylan Moore is a guy who... Is giving him decent service. Kicked an important goal for them at the start of the last quarter. Amira was good for him. Mitchell, plenty of ball from him. Chad Wingard has played good footy the last couple of weeks. Of them, Scrimshaw I thought was okay too. So not without uh, some positives as well. The Hawks have been disappointed with that fade out though, but they are playing or were playing a seriously good team. A great win for the Demons, and uh, well now just two undefeated sides. They're one of them. First time they have won five in a row since 1994. A lot's been made of that. But fair enough, it is a long time ago, 27 years now. They are in really good territory, the Demons, for a serious assault on something they haven't won in my whole lifetime, Friday, a premiership, or your whole lifetime.
1: That is... Hey, Rowan. Yep. I've got my own long wait to worry about. So, yes, you have. The <laughs> Melbourne supporters <laughs> can, um, you know, well, can please themselves. And they've got a very good team this year. All right. He's all, Asta- He's all Australian Christian Salem. He's really playing well. You know what's interesting is that we call him Christian Salem. Remember when we, uh, through Bruce McAvaney, I think, renamed James Clement, James Clement? Yes. Well, there's no way that traditionally, anyhow, Christian Salem's name is Christian Salem. He's not from Massachusetts; he's from the Middle East, and his name, his, his family origins, are from the Middle East. Um, maybe Lebanon, I, I, I'm venturing a guess, but his family name would be Christian Salem, not Christian Salem. I can guarantee you, at least traditionally, I do owe some. I do owe something to some of our listeners, Rowan. I sent out a tweet during the third quarter. And it was a little bit, um, it was was sort of obtuse because it said, I've just seen the worst thing I've ever seen at the football. Narrowly averted, does anybody know what I'm talking about? And I got a lot of suggestions and made a promise to many Twitter followers that I would come clean on footyology. So I better explain what it was, hey? There was a crowd shot, I'm not going to say, who this fan supported after a goal. And this fan put his finger in his ear, pulled out a quantity of earwax, I imagine, because he stared at his finger. And then he went to put it in his mouth. And he just decided against it. And I got to tell you, that was pretty distressing to me, Rowan.
0: I did. Uh, I didn't see your tweet, but I did actually see and note the footage you were talking about. And I did find myself going, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And Unfortunately for his self-respect and his reputation, he didn't do it. All right. Uh, Bizarre note to finish on, but that's where we finished that game. One game (laughs) left in round five. Let's talk about some football. (laughs) Round five finished off with the final game of Sunday afternoon down at GMHBA Stadium and it produced... And in the end, comfortable, but one would have to say, relatively lacklustre win to Geelong over North Melbourne by 30 points. The final scores: 10-17-77. The Cats, to North Melbourne, 7-5-47. The goals, two to Menegola, two to Gary Rowan, singles to Close, Buse, Dowhouse, Tui, Hawkins and Myers. For the Roos, who were workmen-like, if nothing else, two to Larkey, two to Stevenson. Singles to Hall, Thomas, Cunnington. A really scrappy game early and Geelong chronically guilty of wasting their chances 3-9 to 3-3 at time. The Roos were still hanging about of sorts during the third term. Uh, the Cats, though, gradually getting on top. They led by... 20 points at the final change. And in the end, another 3-5 in the last quarter to the Roos. 2-1 for that final 30-point margin. Certainly not a game that uh, would have been, if it still existed, for any part of the a game series. Just one of those ones, I think the Cats bank the four points and move on. should say for North, however, that given where they are and... um, A decent effort for three quarters last week, but blown away in the last. Not blown away at any stage in this game. And uh, all things considered, I think they'd be taking at least a few positives away from this performance. What do you think of it?
1: I think the Geelong crowd went down there in carnival mode. They had the cars going around the ground with Harry Taylor and Gary Ablett Jr. being thanked for their wonderful careers. And I think they expected a... An afternoon of frivolity, thrashing the beleaguered North Melbourne. No, not the case. Trailed at quarter time. In my opinion, fortunate to be up at halftime. North Melbourne, yes, they had less shots at goal, but they certainly had plenty of opportunities inside their own 50s. Some mistakes by foot cost them. Cunnington was playing a great game of football. Geelong were just not clicking. Completely out of sorts and ill-disciplined Tom Hawkins in the first half. He improved in the second half, but his kicking boots weren't on. He only got one goal for the game. In the end, Dangerfield and Manigola put their stamp on the matter. Dangerfield assisted in a couple of goals up forward. Actually, Hawkins did something really clever in the third quarter. Looked like a ball was going through for a point. He managed to paddle it back and Manigola snapped what was a very telling goal because it just gave them that three-goal break. North Melbourne... Cunnington, as I said, was fantastic. Goldstein did his work around the ground. So it is the more senior players still providing much of the backbone for North Melbourne. Aaron Hall, not bad, off the half-back line. And Jack Zubel in his sort of quarter... What do we call it? A, a Not a quarterback role. It's a sweeper's role. Sweeper's role. Wrong sport. Yeah. He's doing pretty well. This was a game that Geelong... Got through. That's the best you can say. They need to perform better. The forward line needs to function better. They'll get something out of the return of Jeremy Cameron, I would have thought. And until that time, we don't really know how potent that forward line is. But they're not quite clicking, the Cats.
0: No, they're not. I'm a little bit worried about them for the first time in quite some time, actually. I'm I'm a big believer in the Cats. But just this season, just those even last year you know they play that defensive style and possess the footy and could be pretty ordinary to watch at times but even last year they were still capable of having those bursts of attacking scoring brilliance I'm not seeing that this season I, I think they've been pretty sort of pedestrian for most of the season and uh, I, I'm not sure that's the sort of football you can turn on and off like a tap and I don't think they're trying to do that either. I just wonder if they're now capable of lifting to a higher gear. So I am a bit worried about that. Look, 10-17, 27 scores. They had 64 inside 50. So the scores per inside 50 isn't too bad. So that's something to build on. Um, but for me at the moment, they're a fair way off the sort of quality of a Richmond and uh, even a Western Bulldogs, and at the moment, as last week probably showed, even Melbourne, so got a fair bit of work to do. They're capable of doing it, and as you say, Cameron, you'd expect to make a pretty sizable difference. What about North Melbourne? Because, look, they're winless, but I don't think this season – is shaping as a disaster. They'd be disappointed with that last quarter against the Crows when they conceded eight goals. But they really hung in there well in this game. In fact, they were up by three goals to one at quarter time. They just don't have the firepower. But Nick Larkey, for example, battled on well with two goals. Jaden Stevenson contributed two. Um, they're having their moments. I think they're, they're at least showing something in terms of resilience. Um, so it's not all lost for them. There is some light on the horizon, I think.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Nick Larky kicked a great goal in that third quarter, got a mark and just sort of willed himself forward, even with a player hanging on to him and managed to kick a goal. I think, look, if, if, if a supporter asks this, what we want is effort. I don't think too many North supporters would be upset, Rowan. They don't have the personnel, but the effort seems to be there. The, the durability and the fitness seems to be lacking a bit. They do fall away at the end of games, but no, they're not terrible. Not terrible. I, yeah. Well,
0: there's some decent performance on today. Aiden Bonner, Lockie Young, Tom Powell, uh, Boston of Alakey. You know, there are uh, four guys that ended up in their higher ball winners of the day. Curtis Taylor, another one. Um, so... You know, the, the young guys, I think, are, are showing bits and pieces. Their leaders today, look, Zeeble, 38 touches, Cunnington, 29. So, you know, the leaders have stood up. There's not a lot else they can do, I suspect. So, not all gloom and doom. It's a Look, it's a long process, but I think they are perhaps at least more recognising of where they are on the developmental curve than other clubs, I could name. Uh, some clubs close to home so um you know their uh, acceptance is the first part of this equation and uh they do accept where they are so given that i think they're not in that bad a space go on you, off make, go.
1: you make them sound like a recovering addict they first got to accept that they're then they can get into rehab which is sort of where they are as a football club so i tell you what, Tom Powell took a great mark today. It was disallowed because North gave away a free kick in the marking contest, but it's worth watching. I did see one of the funniest things I've seen at the football for a long time, Rowan. And it involved first game of Sam DeConnig for Geelong. Now, this took me straight back to, right back to under-10s or under-12s because I reckon, you see, I was a small forward and a rover, rover small forward. And I did sort of kick a lot of opportunistic goals And I reckon I would have stolen a few off the likes of you. You were a full forward, weren't you? I was. Uh, Sam McConnell didn't have a great game. It was a tough initiation for him. He's, you know, going to have better years ahead. But he had an opportunity, I think in the third quarter, the ball was running towards the goals. And he was just about to lay his hands on the ball about two metres out and kick his first goal in league football. When Dalhouse swooped in from stage right, took it off his hands and kicked the goal. And his disappointment, he did not hide it. He he dropped his shoulders, he pouted, he looked at Dalhouse as though to say, That was mine. (laughs) And that took me back to under 12s. He took no pleasure in the goal and was outwardly really upset that he couldn't kick it himself. It was very funny. I'll have to uh, I'll
0: have to look that up on the highlights reel alright thats All right, that is all nine games reviewed very completely. Um, it was hard work finding. It was a long haul, and a long hard rap needs a big angry rant. And the best angry rant is ours on Footyology. On footyology, the rant of rant. Rant. All right, Finey, I'm pretty happy with this one. I was pretty pissed off when I wrote it, so uh, it shouldn't lack for impact, I hope. Will you please count me in?
1: I like, I like ones where you're pissed off when you're writing them.
0: Three, two and one. I'm pissed off with football commentary, Finey. Yeah, I know, we bang on about it all the time, but hard as it is to believe, in 2021, things are actually getting worse. First off, how about the fact that when it comes to games outside Victoria... Most of the commentary teams aren't even in the same state. The games are being played. Of course, last year it was because of COVID. And this year, well, was there anything more predictable than the broadcast networks working out they could save some dollars here and there if they continued their budget calls and keeping the practice going? Yeah, well, there was something more predictable, actually, and it was that they'd do it and not fess up about it, trying to pull the wool over our eyes by having BT and crew call the action from several thousand kilometres away but still pretending they were actually there. What a joke. It means that in a game played on the biggest playing arena of any football code, no one calling the action can see any more than the width of a camera lens. It means the so-called special comments men can't actually see anything unfold ahead of or behind play. Forget about tactics. Forget about how a full back's positioning himself on a full forward. They don't see anything we can't. And in that case, frankly, I'd rather they just shut up and let us call the action ourselves particularly when they can't even get the fundamentals right. We've got used to the wrong names being called, but from a capital city or two away, it's happening far more frequently now. What about Jared Healy's effort on Fox Footy in the Adelaide Fremantle game on Sunday? Talking about a bit of Fremantle play, Jared decided to correct himself. That might have been Wilson rather than a bit of a lookalike. Is he really Jared? Let's see. One of them has dark hair and the other one fair hair. One of them has tats all over him and the other one doesn't. One of them was wearing long sleeves and the other one wasn't. And most of all, one of them's Indigenous and the other one's a white man. But apart from that, yeah, you're right. They are pretty damn close. All that, though, is without even mentioning the sort of drivel we have to put up with when they are talking, which is incessantly. One thing I'd like to know is when did Channel 7 decide to outsource its commentary team to the Triple M radio network? Because there's nothing like a bunch of middle-aged men pretending it's the 1980s and they're still cool to really add some zing to a telecast. And yes, that was sarcastic. Seriously, can Luke Darcy last 10 seconds without saying that someone is all over it? If you need a translation from triple MEs to English, by the way, that means understands what's going on, which is a bit ironic, really. He drops it so often it makes me want to either vomit or whack on some acid wash denim down a six-pack of West Coast coolers and bang on a Bon Jovi triple play. I think the former would be preferable, actually. James Brayshaw, meanwhile, is totally obsessed with what bloody school seemingly every young player on the ground went to. Actually, I'll clarify that. I meant what private school he went to. Because if he just went to the local high or comes from your stock standard suburban footy club, JB doesn't want a bar of it. Then there's the old so-and-so football club like whatever totally nondescript passage of play being called suddenly carries more importance because you've dropped the type of organisation they are afterwards. Mate, we're watching a game of AFL football. I wasn't about to forget whichever side it was and get them somehow confused with a local croquet or lawn bowls equivalent. I really didn't think I'd miss Dennis Committee or even Bruce McAvaney as much as I have this season, Finey. But they're like John Arlott and Richie Beno calling the cricket compared to what's left over. And seeing we're stuck with calling games from several states away, I reckon we'd just about be as well served getting Martin Tyler to call AFL footy from London. It'd be more accurate, he wouldn't crap on with stupid in-jokes and boys' club
1: references, and he'd sure as hell know when to bloody well just shut up! Oh, Rowan, you have absolutely tickled my fancy this afternoon or this evening. If Jared Healy isn't put out to pasture, then what in the frigga pasture's for? Seriously. Th- this afternoon, there was a replayed passage of play. So not only did he not have to get involved in the call, he had time to think about it. And the play was set up by Travis Collier, who it was a beautiful bit of play. I think the ball through a number of hands went, th- it might have gone from Collier to Fife, and H snapped a really good goal. Do you remember that? I do. He started off by wanting to talk about Collier, but obviously didn't know his name. So he goes, that bloke, he's been a top player since he's come over uh, from, from another club, that bloke. Mate, that bloke's got a name. His name's Travis Collier. I mean, fair And uh, Dwayne Russell becomes so annoying at the end of games when clearly under some longstanding directive, he tries to make it seem as though the game's still alive. So do you know what comment we had with 1 minute 14 seconds to go when David Mundy safely chipped the ball to Lockheed Schultz? Three goals, 17 points of difference. 1 minute 14 on the clock. That should do it. Should it? What friggin' miracle of time standing still couldn't do it, mate? Uh, Honestly. It's, uh, Rock it's... bottom. Rock bottom. Friggin' bottom. Yeah, it's pretty poor. Sorry. And Alright. and also that Sydney GWS game, it didn't sound as though I know they weren't there, but that really didn't sound they sounded so disconnected. Yeah. No, they sounded boring.
0: flat. Those games called in other states, they universally sound flat. Anyway, yep. it's uh yeah, it's we've gone cool. about as low as we can go. All right. I don't want to distract you from your focus on your rant. So I'm gonna count you in three, two.
1: One rant. Shame on you, Trent Cochran. Shame. You have absolutely turned on its head a long-standing football tradition. You have gone against the standard. And quite honestly, you should be ashamed of yourself. What am I talking about? Trent Cochran's recent appearance in an advertisement for home insurance by Amy. Trent Cochran is poised accomplished dare i say it if you didn't know he was an afl footballer and captain of the mighty tigers you'd think he was a hired actor he's magnificent there's not a lot required of him other than to be shocked at a home burglary but he actually does it really well and in doing so has portrayed every footballer on any commercial who has proceeded in have you not seen the inept work of jezelenko trying to sell yahoo chocolate-flavoured water back in the early 70s? How about an awkward Alex Marcoux buying a suit from sires in the mid-70s? And the tradition has continued on and on. Good God, man, do I need to show you Tony Lockett chomping into a Gillies pie for Ballarat's Win TV in the late 80s and early 90s to know how bad TV acting can be? Sports people aren't supposed to be able to act. Dennis Lilly might have been Australia's greatest ever bowler, but he mangled a carpet call ad to the point where nobody has ever bought carpet from carpet call. The fact is, Trent, you need to get anti-acting lessons. You need to learn how to be stiff, awkward, and make the viewer uncomfortable that you're their hero. Make the product unbuyable, And all in all, be very obviously a sports person paid over the odds for doing an ad that he never should have. Trent, if I ever see you acting again, I'll be most disappointed. And remember this, next time you consider it, just look up Mark Jackson in The Highwayman to see how really bad a footballer can act. Come on, mate, get with the program. (laughs) Very good. Yes, yeah, so I have
0: noticed that. What do you think of the Marcus Bontempelli version for um, Amy? More like what a footballer should be. Yeah, yeah. How no, does Trent Coxon? Yeah, he's disturbingly uh, accomplished at most things he does, Trent Coxon. And Plugger, I hadn't seen the Gillies Pies one, but uh, clearly he didn't learn much along the journey because I remember the one he did when he went to Sydney for Hungry Jacks, and he was a lot better than them. Um How about about Steve Silvani for patties? I mean, there's a long history of incompetency. (laughs) No, no, it was a good rant. Very well earned. Far too slick and professional, the modern footballer. And uh, I'll tell you what, there's no bad acting either, Finey, when we do our plugs for our sponsors, as our audience can judge for themselves right now.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, I present myself... Doing an ad for Andrew's hamburgers, 144 Fruitport Street, Albert Park. Remember, if it's a burger you want, it's a burger you can get. But if it's the best burger in Australia, it's Andrew's. And if you're looking for a new house rebuild in the southeastern Melbourne, West Point Properties. West Point Properties, Nick's helps the best.
0: A touch of Uncle Doug Elliott about that. I'm not going to even try an Uncle Doug Elliott impersonation as I also thank Stats Insider leaders in sports data analysis. Uh, 10,000 times they model each event to give you the best uh, possible outcome forecasts. And all the stuff on their website is free, so check it out, statsinsider.com.au. You can support us, of course, at the ACAST supporter page, wherever you're listening to this podcast, or at our own Patreon page. Uh, there's links all over our website and on this podcast as well. So take advantage of them and uh, very grateful for the support we get from all our official Footyology patrons. It brings us to the end of another episode, round five, uh, all done and dusted, reviewed. We will be back again midweek to give you the best preview of the upcoming round six and uh, until then, May your football be good football. Good night.